That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Tech Meme Brian Home for Monday, December 14th, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, hackers attacked the U.S. Treasury in an attack so severe one person called it a 10 out of 10. Pornhub has removed millions of videos. Amazon's Zooks has a robo-electric taxi. Are the recent IPO pops sign of a bubble? And could Johnny Ives' next job be as the head of luxury automaker Ferrari? Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Over the weekend, news broke that suspected state-sponsored hackers had broke into and then monitored the internal emails of the U.S. Treasury as well as broke into the National Telecommunications and Information Administration. Quoting Reuters' original piece breaking this news, The hack is so serious it led to a National Security Council meeting at the White House on Saturday, said one of the people familiar with the matter. U.S. officials have not said much publicly beyond the Commerce Department confirming there was a breach at one of its agencies and that they asked the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency and the FBI to investigate. National Security Council spokesman John Ulliott added that they, quote, are taking all necessary steps to identify and remedy any possible issues related to this situation, end quote. The U.S. government has not publicly identified who might be behind the hacking, but three of the people familiar with the investigation said Russia is currently believed to be responsible for the attack. Two of the people said that the breaches are connected to a broad campaign that also involved the recently disclosed hack of FireEye, a major U.S. cybersecurity company with government and commercial contracts, end quote. Since that original piece according to the Washington Post sources, have told them that it was indeed allegedly the Russian hacking group ATP-29, or Cozy Bear, which was behind the attacks, including the previous attack on FireEye, which I believe we talked about last week. Now this morning, the Wall Street Journal says that the hack into the U.S. Treasury specifically exploited a flaw in a SolarWinds product. Who is SolarWinds? Quoting the journal. The company says it has more than 300,000 customers worldwide, including more than 400 of the U.S. Fortune 500 companies. Based in Austin, Texas, SolarWinds Worldwide employs more than 3,200 people and counts Booz Allen Hamilton, the Secret Service, the Defense Department, the Federal Reserve, Lockheed Martin, PricewaterhouseCoopers, and the National Security Agency among its customers, according to the SolarWinds website. A SolarWinds spokesman said the company was aware of a potential vulnerability related to updates of its Orion technology management software that were released between March and June of this year. Quote, We believe that this vulnerability is the result of a highly sophisticated target Targeted and manual supply chain attack by a nation state, the spokesman said in an email. The company is working with FireEye, the intelligence community, and law enforcement on an investigation, he said. 
In a sign of the severity of the threat, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency issued a rare emergency directive instructing all federal civilian agencies to review their networks for possible compromise and immediately shut down the use of SolarWinds Orion products. A source added that several government agencies in total have likely been compromised. The hacking operation exposed as many as hundreds of thousands of government and corporate networks to potential risk and alarmed national security officials in the Trump administration, as well as executives at FireEye, some of whom view it as far more significant than a routine case of foreign cyber espionage, people familiar with the matter said. While those familiar with the hack couldn't precisely specify its scope or the resulting damage to the U.S. government, several described it as among the most potentially worrisome cyber attacks in years because it may have allowed Russia to access sensitive information from government agencies, defense contractors, and other industries. One person familiar with the matter said the campaign was a 10 on a scale of 1 to 10 in terms of its likely severity and national security implications, end quote. Sounds pretty bad. Wanted to share this tweet from security consultant Brian Honan, quote, Seeing lots of info flying around on this, suspect it will be tomorrow before dust settles. Saw a tweet stating SolarWinds believes the vulnerability to be in their software since early this year, which could have huge implications on how many orgs have been breached and for how long. If it's a security flaw in SolarWinds, then many others are at risk. Also a reminder that all remote management tools, while providing benefits, are also a useful vector for attackers to use." End quote. I didn't cover this story on First Pass, so I'm going to have to catch you up real quick. First, earlier this month, the New York Times ran a piece on Pornhub, the, well, you know what Pornhub is and what it does. The piece alleged that since anyone could potentially upload videos to Pornhub, there were tons of videos on the site depicting things like rape and underage sex. Pornhub a few days later said it would no longer let unverified users upload videos to the site in order to prevent this from happening in the future. That was not enough for MasterCard, which said it would not allow its credit cards to be used on Pornhub after its own review of the site found illegal content on there. Visa has suspended its card usage pending its own probe. Well, that certainly got Pornhub's attention, because as of this morning, it announced it has removed all videos, repeat all videos from unverified accounts. The total number of videos hosted on Pornhub has dropped from 13.5 million to now 7.2 million. So that's quite the purge, quoting Vice. Pornhub said the videos will be removed pending verification and review, and the verification process will begin in the new year. Prior to this change, anyone could create an account on Pornhub and upload any video they wanted to since the platform's launch in 2007. Pornhub made the policy change on Tuesday to ban all unverified users from uploading or downloading content to the site and said it would expand its moderation efforts. But by Thursday, MasterCard and Visa announced they'd both stop processing payments with the site altogether. Visa's announcement also specifically stated it would drop all of the MindGeek network, which includes a number of adult sites, including RedTube, Uporn, Xtube, and Brazzers. Verified users, according to the site, are those who have submitted a selfie of themselves holding a piece of paper with their username and Pornhub.com, or the MindGeek site they're signing up for, handwritten on it. Pornhub told Motherboard that this process will be more thorough in the new year, but didn't provide specifics about what it will involve. Verification makes users eligible to join the Model Hub program, which allows them to monetize their videos. A lot of unverified videos on Pornhub aren't even porn. 
people uploaded pirated full-length movies to Pornhub, as well as memes and jokes. Last year, users uploaded more than 6.83 million new videos to Pornhub, according to the platform's 2019 year-end review, end quote. Amazon's Zooks self-driving car initiative has unveiled an autonomous electric robo-taxi that can hold up to four passengers and run for acclaimed 16 hours on a single charge, quoting Bloomberg. The vehicle, which Zooks describes as a driverless carriage or robo-taxi, can carry as many as four passengers. With a motor at each end, it travels in either direction and maxes out at 75 miles per hour. Two battery packs, one under each row of seats, generate enough juice for 16 hours of runtime before recharging, the company said. To commercialize the technology, Zooks plans to launch an app-based ride-hailing service in cities like San Francisco and Las Vegas. This is really about reimagining transportation, Zooks Chief Executive Officer H. Evans said in an interview with Bloomberg Television. Not only do we have the capital required, we have the long-term vision, end quote. The company also plans to launch ride-hailing services in other countries, Evans said. Executives didn't say how much rides would cost, but that they would be affordable and competitive with services operated by Uber and Lyft. Nor did they say when the service would launch, but confirmed it wouldn't happen in 2021. In a video released Monday, Evans used Zook's app to hail the vehicle outside San Francisco's Fairmont Hotel and took a spin around the block, end quote. Let's be real for a minute. Most guys would wear a t-shirt every day of their lives if they could. The problem is that most t-shirts are not acceptable to wear at work or out on a hot date night. But today's sponsor, Cuts, has finally changed that. Cuts t-shirts are such high-quality, wrinkle-free, and so buttery soft that you can look like you're dressing up even when you're dressing down. Yeah, you heard that. Wrinkle-free. You never have to substitute comfort for fashion ever again. If you see me in a t-shirt, it's likely one from Cuts. I'm also a huge fan of their AO5 pocket pants, the right sort of step up from jeans without going all the way into dress pants, like literally my ideal Venn diagram of professional looking but comfortable feeling. When you touch something from Cuts, you can immediately feel the quality. Their proprietary fabric blends are ridiculously soft and breathable, they don't wrinkle, and they look way more expensive than they actually are. For a limited time, our listeners get 20% off your entire order when you use code RIDE at checkout. That's 20% off your order at cutsclothing.com with promo code RIDE. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Experience the perfect blend of style and comfort with Cuts Clothing. Cutsclothing.com, promo code RIDE for 20% off. I guess we'll be seeing a bunch more stories like this one in the coming months, or at least I certainly hope so, for all of our sakes. The New York Times has seen an internal memo from Google outlining its plans for returning Googlers to work on the regs. Google now plans to have employees return to the office in September 2021 and is testing a flexible model of three days in the office and two days work from home as the regular schedule going forward, quoting the Times. In an email to the staff on Sunday night, Sundar Pichai, chief executive of Google's parent company Alphabet, said, quote, We are testing a hypothesis that a flexible work model will lead to greater productivity, collaboration, and well-being, Mr. Pichai wrote in an email obtained by the New York Times. Quote, no company at our scale has ever created a fully hybrid workforce model, though a few are starting to test it, so it will be interesting to try, end quote. One thing not mentioned in Mr. Pichai's email is whether the company will require employees to take the coronavirus vaccine before returning to the office. 
Google has said it recommends that employees obtain the vaccine when their health care provider or local public health authority has told them it's available to them, said Gina Scigliano, a Google spokeswoman. Google has said it is looking for opportunities in mid to late 2021 to help make COVID-19 vaccines available to its workers, but only after high-risk and high-priority people globally have received the vaccines, end quote. This is something that I've been thinking about a lot over the last weekend, and certainly over the last few weeks. There was a piece in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend talking about the recent IPO pops we've been seeing. Should investors be worried? Are we in a bubble? Not an overall tech bubble, but certainly a bubble for certain types of tech startups that go public. I think there's no doubt that we are, and note that according to this piece, Valuations of recent IPOs relative to these companies' underlying revenue are at their highest levels since the dot-com era. Quote, Investors this year have valued newly public tech companies at a median of 23.9 times the revenue they reported in the 12 months before going public, according to University of Florida business professor Jay Ritter, who tracks initial public offerings. That measure is by far the highest of the past two decades. For most of the 2010s, the median multiple for a tech company after its first day of trading hovered around six times its revenue in the prior 12 months. The same measurement for stocks in the NASDAQ Composite Index is 4.3, according to FactSet. So I'm going to interrupt again to say that the median of the recent IPOs is 23.9 times revenue. Back to the piece, quote, I have a great deal of difficulty understanding the valuations of some of these companies, Mr. Ritter said. The difference in enthusiasm for the unprofitable young companies and old corporate giants with consistent profits is night and day, he said. The valuations imply investors are counting on years of continued rapid growth by these companies, hoping some will dominate their industries and churn out large profits, Mr. Ritter said. Tech enthusiasts and some observers say there are concrete reasons for the enthusiasm, as businesses across the country spend more on software and cloud computing services while more consumers are comfortable with ordering food or rooms on apps. Quote, Without a doubt, there's a major transformation, said Jeffrey Sonnenfeld, a professor at Yale University School of Management. End quote. Well, yes, two things can be true at the same time. An IPO can be grossly overvalued, and also, sometime down the road, that same IPO might be worth even more money than it is today. Remember, Amazon stock was maybe a bit frothy in the late 90s and say, early 1999, but if you timed it right, you'd still make a killing so long as you sold in early 2000. If you timed it wrong and sold around 2003 when Amazon was down to a $5 stock, then you maybe felt like you got it wrong. If you held that same clutch of Amazon stock for 21 years and sold it today, you're selling at $3,179 a share. So it all depends on your time horizon. If you have a Robinhood day trader's time horizon, then maybe reconsider getting into Airbnb at these levels this week. But if you have a Warren Buffett-style 40-year time horizon, then who knows? But the IPO frothiness has other tangible repercussions right now today. Both Roblox and Affirm delayed their initial public offerings, which were supposed to come this week, until next year. Why? Neither company thinks they can accurately price the shares of their offerings right now. That's how frothy markets are. Remember, every time you see an IPO pop 100% or so on its first day of trading, keep in mind that company could have raised as much as twice as much money 
while giving up the exact same amount of equity had the offering been priced closer to what the market bore out. In other words, companies don't want to leave that much money on the table. So at least these two companies are going to wait a bit for the frothiness to die down slightly. Finally today, might Johnny Ive be cutting his quasi-retirement a bit short? Reuters is reporting that Ive might be in the running to take over the driver's seat at Ferrari. Quote, Chief Executive Officer Louis Camilleri, 65, retired with immediate effect, citing personal reasons late on Thursday after being in the role for nearly two and a half years. Chairman John Ecken, the scion of Italy's Agnelli family, will lead the company on an interim basis while a permanent successor is found. It was not long before the names of possible candidates emerged. A spokesman for F1 dismissed rumors that the former head of Ferrari's racing team and ex-Lamborghini chief Stefano Dominicali could take Camilleri. Larry's role, saying he was looking forward to starting his new job as F1 CEO on January 1st as planned. A source close to former Vodafone CEO Vittorio Colau said media reports about him as a candidate for Ferrari's top job were groundless. Besides Domenicali and Colau, Italian media cited other names, including Apple's CFO Luca Mastri and Apple's former design chief officer Jonathan Paul Ive as other possible candidates, end quote. Now, I don't know about Mastery's pedigree, but according to Cult of Mac, Ive is, quote, passionate about cars. One of the moments that made him want to be a designer was when his dad, Mike Ive, took him to a car design studio in London. The pair spent hours restoring a vintage Austin Healey Sprite car. He briefly considered studying car design at university. After he made it big at Apple, I've bought himself supercars like the James Bond-associated Aston Martin DB9, a Bentley, and more. He also attended, and maybe still attends, the Goodwood Festival of Speed, where people show off various high-end cars. And while it's never been confirmed, it wouldn't seem too surprising if I've had been a key figure in pushing the Apple car project inside Apple. Quote, there are some shocking cars on the road. I've was quoted as saying in a 2015 New Yorker article referring to a Toyota Echo. It is baffling, isn't it? I've continued. It's just nothing, isn't it? It's just insipid. Not too long after that, the Apple car rumors really took off. End quote. So get ready for that seasonal tradition when New Yorkers tell the world about our weather as if we're the only folks in the world to have weather, as we're supposed to get as much as 10 inches of snow on Wednesday. Also on Wednesday, our friend here in the city who is an emergency room nurse is apparently going to get the COVID vaccine. So it's all happening, people. Talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.